Hello, everyone. I'm Asha Nayaswamy. This is Brahmachari Tandava. And here we are on our noontime conversations with millennials. So, Tandava, today I would like to have you just talk about what it means to you to be a disciple. You know, what it is to be a disciple, how it informed your life, how it changed your life. So why don't we just start, you know, with the, the word disciple? What is a disciple in your life? How does that, uh, how does that, how do you define yourself in that context? Hmm. It's interesting that um, I had an answer all coming up ready to go. And then you said, how do you just define yourself? Mm-hmm. And I was going from the angle of what is discipleship? Mm-hmm. Um, because the way I, I I think about it or feel about it a lot is as a relationship and particularly uh, a friend relationship. Um, there's the concept of an Ishtadeva. Is that the word, your chosen form of how you worship God? Mm-hmm. And whether it's Heavenly Father, Divine Mother, a deity, I always liked the concept of divine friend. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, that is to some extent, all of our gurus, but particularly Yogananda. And, and particularly Yogananda in his sort of playful, sometimes mischievous, joyful kind of aspect. Um, and I like to think of him as a friend that's always hanging out with me and mm-hmm. we're exploring the world. And we're just going, wow, isn't this an awesome, crazy life? <laughs> Let's figure out how we go through this together. And just being there for each other, with each other all the time. And it's somebody you can just talk to about, like, what are we going to do here in this weird situation? Or wasn't that really funny how this worked out? Or anything like that. But just somebody who's always there, always with you, always loving, always accepting, always helping. Uh, the perfect divine friend. And that relationship to me is one of the ways I really like to think about discipleship. How did you ever stumble onto such a thing? I mean, how, how did it grow up in your life? It, it's not normal in American society, and you're American, to just sort of accept, except as a child, to have what people would call an imaginary friend. <laughs> Did you have imaginary yeah. friends when you were a child? <laughs> I, I don't think so. I mean, I like had toys and stuffed animals and things, but I don't think I ever really had the typical imaginary friend. I don't know how I just how, how I got onto that. Maybe it was just specific experiences. Maybe it was thinking about the fact that we pray to friend, beloved God at the beginning of all our prayers and friend is right there in there. Um, Maybe it's my sense of Yogananda's personality from reading the autobiography and, and his other writings. Um, Yeah, I'm not sure. And there was a time when, um, when I was journaling a lot uh, and I got into the habit of, instead of just writing to myself in my journal, or writing Dear Diary or anything, I figured, why not address these all to Master? So I would just write, Dear Master, Dear Guruji, you know, every, everything I wrote in there, you know, I'm writing it anyway, why not just make it a letter, make it a conversation? And I think that really helped develop it as well. Did you do that for years, for weeks? I mean, did it- Some, some years at least. Um, I've, 
I, I journaled a lot more in the past. It's not an, as active a part of my life right now. But for a number of years when I was newer at Ananda, I was still doing that quite a bit. And that was at least a few years. Yeah. So how did, so your journal became your letters to a friend. How did, how, when, when, when did you begin to trust Yogananda like that? Was it from reading Autobiography of a Yogi? Was it immediate? Did it come on you yeah. slowly? It was certainly not immediate. I don't know that I can pick a moment. You know, over the course of the first year or so that I was at Ananda, um, I, I was sort of conflicted. I think we had this conversation earlier on about the head and the heart, and one gets on board first and the other has to catch up. And, and I think once I really landed here and just started coming to services, coming to classes just all the time, my heart was totally on board. And I was really clear, this is great, this is what I need, and it's coming from Yogananda. Like, I had met Swami, but I, it was just so clear that he was bringing us Yogananda's consciousness. Um, but I did, my, my head was caught up in like, well, discipleship, commitment, you know, what, what does this mean? Can I do it? What if I change my mind? Those kind of things. Um, I had, sort of before Ananda, the, the way I thought I was going to be happy in life was through ro a romantic relationship. Mm -hmm. And there was work, there was hobbies, all this nice stuff, but that's what I thought was going to be the thing that did it. And, you know, I'd had a really big one that completely went up in flames. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think I was still shaken by that. Like, oh, how do I want to commit to anything? This isn't a relationship in the same way, but it's the relationship of, of its sorts you know, am I, am I going to get burned the same way? Is, is this right? How do I really know? Because I don't know how things are going to play out. All of those things. Um, and I, I remember I had a conversation with David Praver about it because he was teaching the discipleship class and just about how it's, it's an ongoing thing, an ongoing process. It's not you know, there there is this moment maybe when you decide to take the discipleship vows, but you know nothing stops, nothing is fixed. It's it's always just growing and developing. I can't remember the exact words that he he used, but somehow, and maybe it was just him being him because he can do this. It just it felt okay, and it it let me relax into the fact that everything is is just seems to be exactly what I need right now. Everything is working. I love it here. I love the teachings. I feel better than I felt in a long time. Why wouldn't I just keep going with this? Um, and so there's a little bit of taking it on faith that it's going to keep on working, but, um, but part of that is being willing to go ahead and take a step and say like, yes, this is working well enough right now that I trust it will keep doing so and give it a chance to prove itself, the spiritual path to prove itself. I think that's when you have enough belief to conduct the experiment, and then the experience you have from the experiment gives you real faith in what you're, and so you had enough belief from the experience. Exactly. So then did you consciously then try to cultivate a friendship with Yogananda or did it 
again, did it just come on? Did you, did you say here would be a good practice? I don't think so. Uh-huh. And this started about 10 or 11 years ago, so maybe I've forgotten some details. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, I know I prayed to Yogananda, and I, and I prayed for help and guidance just with being okay with the whole thing, about mm-hmm. being a disciple and making some sort of a commitment. Um, I don't think it ever came down in a lightning bolt, right. but over time, that prayer was absolutely answered because here I still am and there's no way I can imagine being anything other than a disciple. Um, so however he worked it out, he worked it out. Um, and I know before, even before I became a disciple, you know, I, I was aware that, you know, Yogananda was, was there and available. specifically as relate to I need that was weird huh that was weird okay but you're back we've been yep, and, and you're back and we can edit this out later <laughs> but now just for the sake of those who are listening we got uh, you were sort of explaining, I think, a little bit. I, we got past the point where you were conducting the experiment, and I asked you whether it was a deliberate practice. And you said it began to grow on you. That's basically where we were when, when we lost the sound, when, you're, when you went on holiday. Oh, so, so we missed a lot there. <laughs> we missed that whole last thing. That we yeah. Um, I don't think it ever really became a deliberate, specific practice, but from the beginning, um, I was, <clears throat> excuse me, I was aware that Yogananda was available sort of as a consciousness to relate to. And, and I would pray to Yogananda and, and just ask for help being okay with uh, this whole concept of discipleship. And like, I don't know if I'm your disciple, but <laughs> if I am, <laughs> you know, maybe you could help me figure this out and, and be clear on it. And nothing ever came through in a bolt of lightning, but over time it worked out mm-hmm. and you know and maybe it was it was swami's example maybe it was the example of the other teachers and people i met around ananda um, but the idea that you can relate to master even though he doesn't have a body mm-hmm. tell me what part swami kriyananda played in the evolution of your spiritual life the first time i saw him um was right after the relationship I mentioned went up in flames. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I sort of think of uh, some people get to the spiritual path through Jupiter and <laughs> their Jupiter return is this wonderful spiritual unfoldment mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And some people come through Saturn when Saturn comes and steamrollers your life uh-huh. and you need something. And uh-huh. uh, that's where I was <laughs> in the latter one. Um, I was about 28 or so and was feeling steamrollered. Mm-hmm. And there was Swami, and I think part of what was going on was I was cracked open enough to let something in. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Swami felt very much like a catalyst, and we mm-hmm. talked about this some in our first interview 
and how I was just kind of overwhelmed with feeling the first time I saw him. I didn't know exactly what to do with it or how to process it, but I could tell something happened. And it took a year and a half, actually, before I had gotten myself to whatever point I needed to do to actually show up, come to church, you know, take the meditation classes here. But I always felt that Swami was was what did it. In mm-hmm. fact, for years, I would tell the story that I just, I saw Swami and then I came to Ananda. And some years later, I actually remembered, oh, wait, it was actually 18 months between those two <laughs> things. Because in my mind, it was just a direct connection. Right. You know, I... I have had a, I have a similar memory. You know, I met Swami and that was that, but it was like more than a year. It's sort of like the reality was the meeting and the decision. And then there was a lot of Maya in between that filled up a little time. Yeah, yeah. But, but the part of you just remembers that, that two real things happened. One was meeting Swami and one was making commitment. So uh, you were, you, you knew you came early enough that you saw Swami in the body a number of times. Did did you feel that your connection to Yogananda was through him? Did he interfere? Did he enhance it? Did he? How did he? Um, I okay. I saw him a handful of times. Uh-huh. Um, not, I don't think ever one on one. Sometimes uh-huh. in small groups, but it was usually brief. Um, so I didn't spend a ton of time on him. I feel like I've always been very conscious about how crucial Swami has been in just bringing all of this to us and making it accessible and making it understandable and applicable to every aspect of our lives. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure what it would have been like if I'd spent more time with him. I remember one moment, it may have been the last time I ever saw him. It was probably 2012 when I was working at East West and he stopped in at the store. before flying back to Italy or wherever he was going. And I remember being up close to him at one point and going, oh my goodness, this is an old man. He's he's like wrinkled, can't walk around. He's got the big ears. Like, what is this? Just an old man. I had such this picture of Swami as just a consciousness. And I knew him from his talks. and I knew him from his books. And I just had this huge feeling of him. And then there's just this little little old man, <laughs> and it really felt weird for for a little bit. Um, and it was a joy to see him, of course, and everything. I just had that that um, that uh, what what's the word for that clash of perceptions? Uh-huh. You know that uh, it was just odd. <laughs> you know, Swami himself said that we were lucky never to have met Master in the body, yeah. because the contradiction between the sense of his consciousness and the presence of his body was actually Swami himself said it was hard to reconcile. Yeah, and I, I can imagine just from my one little experience with Swami, it, it would be tempting to relate to him as a person and not as a consciousness. Mm-hmm. And that's maybe why I've never really worried too much about the fact that Yogananda isn't in the body and hasn't been at all in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure maybe precisely where this came from, but I I just feel very clear in myself that Master is not at all limited in what he can give me mm-hmm. by not having a body. The only limitation is on my end. Mm-hmm. So if he were in a body, this same limitation would be here. Uh-huh. I can only draw so much uh-huh. 
you know, whatever I'm able to do at this moment is what I'm able to do and receive. And he's ready to give me more <laughs> all the time, even now. And him having a body would not affect that. That's very, that's very astute. How has your life been different since you became a disciple? I mean, many things change simultaneously. But what does be, how does being a disciple make your reality a different reality? I think, uh, well, one of my favorite words they may have brought up before was context mm -hmm. and how there's a way for everything to fit in. And I think I may have spoken about this in terms of the spiritual path, but at this point, discipleship is the spiritual path. They're, they're kind of the same thing. And that means whenever there's a difficulty or a decision or or anything, there's a perspective you can zoom out to, to look at it from, mm -hmm. that is, you know, more of an absolute perspective than anything else. Mm -hmm. and, and that's... And therefore, so yeah. um, in your desire for a romantic relationship, which is something that you brought up earlier, you said happiness was always defined in terms, your happiness would come from a romantic relationship, but clearly you've found a different thought about that. So yeah. how did discipleship play into that? And is that really required on the spiritual path? Or was just is that just your way of thinking? Is um is being a monk required? Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so that's it's interesting. The um let me see where how I want to do this. You know, we've all heard the teachings about how God is the the greatest infinite bliss of all. Um, but that doesn't mean it can automatically take uh, take hold in the heart. And if you still really want something, you still really want it. And sometimes there's nothing you can do about it. Um, so... You know, I was in another relationship by the time I actually came to Ananda, and mm -hmm. I was in that for a couple of years. And when that ended, some months after that was when I decided to become a monk. And I did kind of struggle with the concept of, am I just doing this as a rebound kind of a thing? Or is it is it really time? Um, because that's a question. It's hard to trust your judgment when there have been emotions going on and all of that. Um, and it's hard to pinpoint what did it unless it's just the grace of God, which it probably was. But I, I apparently got to the point where I had, at that point, had enough relationships that I was ready to step back and do something different. Mm -hmm. Like, let's actually take another <laughs> stab at this whole happiness thing mm -hmm. and come at it from a different angle. Would, but, that you know, what, your, would that be your going up and looking at things in context? Is that Yeah, but there's... Just like Swami was a catalyst for me, there was a particular catalyst in this transition mm -hmm. also. Um, because sometimes you just need someone or something to make a picture real for you mm -hmm. and not have it just be theoretical. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was New Year's Day 2012 when mm -hmm. Amit, who was still living here, took his brahmacharya vows and mm -hmm. became a monk. And at that point in the community, I think we had a few... Uh, 
we had a couple of women who were Brahmacharinis of an older generation than me, and there's nobody in my demographic, as it were. <laughs> and then here's Amit, who was early 30s, young man, and he goes up there and he becomes a monk. And I saw that and I went, oh, right, this applies to people like me too. This is a valid life choice that makes sense. And, and I just felt this inspiring devotion to God, to the spiritual path that, that brought him to do that. And it made, it made me want to do the same thing. And it also made me want to be an example of the same thing mm -hmm. because I could feel how powerful it, it was to have the example shown to me. Mm -hmm. And so, so that was probably the catalyst when my heart clicked mm -hmm. for it. And then the mind lagging behind all the time. <laughs> this is a theme in my life. <laughs> um, a month later, I had an astrological reading with Drupada. Mm -hmm. And on that day that I had seen Amit uh, take his vows, I switched into a new astrological period, which was um, Ketu. Mm -hmm. which when he he was trying very hard to not push me towards a decision when he described it but when he described k2 period to me i just went that sounds like a monk <laughs> <laughs> and and i sort of said well this is an astrological period of seven years where it sounds like the stars at least will be supporting this yeah. i'm feeling more of an inclination it sounds worth giving it a shot yeah. and it was again like recognizing I cannot necessarily commit to an entire lifetime. I have no idea what will happen, but I, I felt at that point there was enough to run with right. and see where it goes. Right. Right. Exactly. And that was almost eight years ago now. <laughs> you passed the seven year mark. We're still in it. <laughs> so it's, it's worked well enough so far. The beauty of Ananda altogether is that it's supportive and it's fluid simultaneously. You've mentioned a couple of things, which was actually my next question. What part has the community played in your spiritual life and in your discipleship? How mm. have your brothers and sisters inspired, guided, affected your life as a disciple? After Swami Kriyananda, it was the other people here that that really sealed the deal, as it were. You know, I'd, <laughs> I'd never met so many people that I was just happy to be around and just felt this love and joy emanating from everybody. Just even when I was new and just meeting people for the first time, I just kept having this reaction of like, wow, that's a really great person. Wow. That's, <laughs> and there was this commonality that I could see in all of them that, that I wanted. And since they were all here doing the same thing, that was the only common factor. <laughs> it, it, uh, it, it was really a, a strong draw here. What what was the commonality? What was it that was so attractive? I mean, you say someone's a really great person, but yeah. what are the characteristics that you saw that were attractive to you? I think love and joy would probably be the the best ways to describe them. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody's baseline of happiness is noticeably higher <laughs> than mm -hmm. the general population in the world. Uh -huh. And I, I think I just felt 
accepted and loved and it but in a general way not like so particularly for me that i feel like like ah, i have to i have to find out how to reciprocate with this because somebody's way too attached to me but but a more expansive feeling of love that you can just relax into and expand into and feel did you tie that together with yogananda or with kriyananda did it did it make a loop or how how did you interpret all that did you I, I don't know how explicitly I did it, but this was the place where all these people were, <laughs> where I felt that. Uh-huh. And I had, I had met a person here, a person there throughout my life that maybe made me feel the same way. Mm-hmm. But now I'm at a community mm-hmm. that feels that way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's hard to resist it's hard <laughs> being, to being part of it. Yeah, that's exactly the way to put it. Yeah. Um, if somebody were talking to you and they said, I'm afraid to be a disciple because I'm afraid that I can't live up to it. Um, I'm afraid I'll fail. How would you answer someone who said that to you? Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, I don't, I'm trying to think of what it means to fail okay. as a disciple. And I might want to unpack that first. Um, we'll unpack be- that first. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, from the person asking the question, mm-hmm. um, because I, I don't feel like dis- discipleship has a, a, a succeed-fail binary result. Mm-hmm. Like I was saying earlier, it feels just like a relationship that's that's there, um, and so if somebody is talking about I'm not going to be a good disciple, and by good they mean I don't meditate enough, I whatever standards or bar they're setting for themselves, and they fall from that. You know, I would say that Master is here with us from here to infinity and whatever we do along the way he's still here with us and you know if we try something and we fail and fall back at that something he's not going to to let us down he's going to be there with us when we decide to pick ourselves up and do it again whether it's this lifetime or next lifetime or in five minutes from now he he has all the time in the universe. We have all the time in the universe. He doesn't have to go anywhere. He is everywhere. <laughs> the, the relationship uh-huh. is is there, and he's not trying to give you a pass-fail grade on this. Right. Right. No, I think that's exactly the answer. But see, what you've also described is you've described friendship. Which I said was my, my baseline <laughs> of the relationship, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's very important to, I mean, maybe you want to speak about that. So, like, what is so attractive about the idea of friendship? What, why does it please you so much to think of God in that way? Um, one of the reasons Master said friendship is the highest relationship because it's completely voluntary mm-hmm. and there's no coercion in it. Um, and so there's that. For myself... Friendship is natural and informal. It doesn't require you to be something you aren't. 
because um, your friend loves you when you're having a good day and he loves you when you're having a bad day. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be putting on your performance mm-hmm. all the time. Um, and for me, friendship is fun. And that's a word I, I remember using a lot in one of our previous conversations, but it is. And, uh, you know, Master and I try and have fun together. And there have been moments when something came through so clearly as a message for Master and it just made me laugh because of the way he had to deliver it. <laughs> I just feel like, you know, he's he will play little jokes on each other or whatever, <laughs> but it's all in good fun. And we're all uh, just just there helping and loving each other and enjoying each other's company. I think that's perfect. Absolutely perfect. Thank you very much for being so open and willing to answer my questions. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed hearing your story and I hope others do as well. My God pleasure. Thank you.